everyone. Welcome to Sundays with Saima. This podcast is made for aspiring otolaryngologists to learn from trainees and attendings in the field. I'm your host, Saima Wase, fourth year medical student at Northeast Ohio Medical University. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Greg Randolph, a professor and chair in thyroid surgical oncology at Harvard Medical School. He serves as the director of general otolaryngology and thyroid parathyroid endocrine surgical division at Mass Eye and Ear. He completed his medical degree at Cornell University Medical College. He went on to pursue his residency at Harvard Medical School, followed by clinical fellowship at Mass Eye and Ear and a research fellowship in thyroid oncology at Mass Gen Hospital. He is the author of two textbooks, The Recurrent and Superior Laryngeal Nerves and Surgery of Thyroid and Parathyroid Glands. Dr. Randolph has consistently been named one of America's top doctors by the Castle Connolly's Guide over the past 15 years. Dr. Randolph, I'm honored to have you here today. Thank you for joining me, and I'm looking forward to this. Hi, Salma. How are you? Good, good. How is your weekend going? <laughs> so far, so good. Uh, getting a little, some meetings done and a little bit of uh, cleaning around the house as well fit in. Good to hear. So to start out for today, what was your path to otolaryngology and medicine in general? Well, um, I'd say to medicine in general, I was, uh, you know, we're all influenced by our families and my brother is a veterinarian and I was interested in initially in veterinary medicine. And then it was some health experiences with some of my family members that made me want to redirect that trajectory towards medicine to take care of uh, people. So that was the, uh, but you know, even earlier on, I was the uh, uh, editor of my high school newspaper and I was very close to going to Columbia as a journalism major, as opposed to biology to Cornell. So there's a lot of different, you know, angles that we have a lot of different things that really impact on us. So for, for me, it was the overall love of biology and then specifically wanting to focus that on people. That was my trajectory. In terms of otolaryngology, head and neck surgery, I had, um, you know, what was fairly undifferentiated in the first two years of medical school, and I tended to enjoy um, endocrinology, the relationships between hormones and metabolism really drew me in, and I actually started veering towards OBGYN, and then I did some rotations in my third year that drew me, uh, that exposed me to head and neck surgery and the anatomy in the neck basically was the thing that drew me in and made me think I really need to be doing something that relates to the neck and surgery. And then I found the thyroid gland and I thought there is my endocrinology all wrapped up, closed the loop, all set, and I never looked back. So it was basically as a third year medical student that I kind of decided that otolaryngology and specifically thyroid was the area that I was interested in. Right. And it's interesting to see how many diverse interests you had going into medicine and then into otolaryngology itself. And it seems like you were able to wrap those up all into one career. Well, but you know, it's, it's some things are, you do the best you can at any one time. And so my pathway, you know, which might've been journalism, might've been OBGYN, you know, I encourage people to really 
be interested in, you know, uh, fully engage in all the things that are really dear to them and they find interest in, and somehow you'll figure out your, your pathway. Um, so, uh, yeah, otolaryngology head neck surgery was just a really, really great place. And when I first started looking around at different uh, residency options, I, uh, I just found that otolaryngologists head neck surgeons were really doing very interesting surgery, were really very smart, very hardworking, but also they seemed happy about it. They seemed to be enjoying the work, to be welcoming junior people to the field. And that seems in speaking to many otolaryngologists uh, here and around the world, that's a quite common common thread that, you know, the, they were exposed to otolaryngology and the, the people seem to be enjoying themselves in, in their work. Um, you would think that wouldn't be the case because, you know, it's a, it's, it could be an area of consternation, right? Every surgery we do, there's some cranial nerve that is ramifying the field in some difficult way, but that, that's the pleasure of it, to have the, such a functional area to be operating on is, is really some of the joy. Right, that complexity and also the welcoming attitude that you mentioned, it's huge draw for medical students. Uh, I know that for a fact from my colleagues as well. So it seems to be true over many years. It was true when I was applying, and my um, my nephew is uh, just uh, has applied and started otolaryngology uh, uh, residency, and and he noted basically the same thing. So I really think it is an appealing part of the field, and any that are listening to your uh, broadcast should really uh, just get exposed, whether in their program or at the rotations to otolaryngology, and you'll find I, I would, wouldn't be surprised that people who are doing some difficult and interesting work, but that, that are happy about it and happy with their career, as, as certainly I am. Right, right. And that career satisfaction that you mentioned, you got to pursue endocrine surgery as well to kind of mesh your intellectual interests together. So what are some of the latest findings in the field that are interesting you today? Yeah, it, uh, the thyroid and parathyroid, uh, the, the anatomy uh, was one of the things that really compelled me, the neck-based anatomy, uh, the functional uh, aspects of the surgery, parathyroid. Uh, recurrent laryngeal nerve, the electrophysiology that's part of the surgical cases, um, the complexity of different types of thyroid cancer. There's a lot cognitively to kind of latch on to, uh, as well as the beautiful anatomy. And the anatomy, you know, this kind of, um, you say, well, maybe otolaryngology, it's just going to be the same area, but, I, you know, every day and, oh, you might get bored, you want to do different different areas or different regions of the body or different areas of medicine, but that, that sameness, mm -hmm. but differentness of the repetitive surgical endeavor is really, it's, it's really appealing because you can over time get better at it. Um, and you see that in the patient's voices that you operate on for thyroid surgery in their calcium profiles after parathyroid surgery. So you can really see that learning curve engaged to the benefit of your patients. And that's, that's very, very, um, very seductive, very, uh, uh, a great recipe for a satisfying career. In terms of things that are revolutionizing the field, I, I would say a number of things. There are certain, certainly technologic aspects and equipment. This is a 
part of otolaryngology in general. We're a very equipment oriented field, a lot of specialized surgical and other uh, uh, equipment in managing and operating on our patients. Uh, for um, thyroid and parathyroid surgery, there is uh, recurrent laryngeal nerve monitoring, which is the electrical stimulation of the nerve and providing prognostic uh, information regarding the nerve, giving us some information about neuropraxic states that are developing during surgery. You can identify that not with the eye, but with neural stimulation uh, parameters. There is a similar a new technology on parathyroid autofluorescence, which allows us to either with a probe or with a camera interrogate the surgical field and identify parathyroids in part through their autofluorescence signal. And that's a, a, new, a new field. But I think the thing that has excited me most being <clears throat> very oriented towards advanced thyroid cancer as my area of focus is the interaction between otolaryngology and medical oncology. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there are many different <clears throat> new tyrosine kinase inhibitor targeted therapies, usually uh, chosen on the basis of the molecular interrogation of the specific tumor. And then based on that, uh, an agent is chosen. And this, these have been rolled out initially in patients with distant metastatic disease. And some of them, like, for example, uh, lenvatinib as one, um, has shown very dramatic uh, responses in patients with metastatic disease. So several years ago, we were thinking, well, that would be wonderful if we could maybe, for patients presenting with thyroid cancer who have yet to be operated on, to provide them with some of these agents that we know will shrink tumors very substantially in a neoadjuvant, that is preoperative setting. Mm -hmm. And so we have now the first of two clinical trials opened up in our center looking at patients presenting with advanced disease where you'd have to take part of the trachea or esophagus or recurrent laryngeal nerve and pre-treating them for two or four or six months, shrinking the tumor down and then doing surgery that will obtain a better margin and potentially not need to be as aggressive as the initial presenting surgery would be. Uh, I'd say these clinical trials on neoadjuvant therapy prior to advanced cancer surgery is probably one of the most exciting aspects of the field and emphasizes how otolaryngologists really interact with many different fields. For me, it's other otolaryngologists, other general surgeons, uh, endocrinologists, as well as oncologists. Right. And that sameness, but different that you mentioned is exciting because of the research that you're talking about, the revolutionary findings. Uh, I remember specifically hearing your talk at the academy meeting about autofluorescence, and that's when I reached out to you to talk on this podcast. So I really appreciate your time and expertise. And I know that your expertise has also been appreciated internationally. Uh, you were the first otolaryngologist member of the American Association of Endocrine Surgeons, the first otolaryngologist member and council member of the International Association of Endocrine Surgeons, and the first otolaryngologist and U.S. surgeon to be board certified in endocrine surgery in the European Union. So you clearly play an instrumental role as the international authority in the field. Uh, what does this role mean to you and what do you hope to contribute? Well, I think as, uh, as uh, otolaryngology is really a international specialty and the world is a very big place. 
And there are many national and international organizations that as an otolaryngologist, you can utilize to further your own career and to provide a greater compensation nationally and internationally. So you mentioned some international organizations, but we don't want to forget the American Academy of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery, which is the main national organization, as you know, of, uh, of otolaryngologists, about 13,000 otolaryngologists. And there, that is a wonderful organization. It provides a regional, national, and international uh, network for young physicians to further their career. There are many subsections of the academy that are really ideal. There is a medical student section, as you probably know. There is uh, a young physicians section, and there is a residence and fellows section. So uh, anyone that's interested, please uh, contact uh, either Sama or I, and we can put you in contact with some of the leadership in the society. It's a really wonderful brotherhood of uh, individuals that can really help you network nationally and internationally. But there are many other uh, uh, organizations all around the world. You mentioned some of them that allow us to learn from other areas. In some areas teach, some areas learn from otolaryngologists all around the world. It really is a brotherhood. And, and so these organizations are, I think, um, really tremendously helpful to build one's career. You make friends internationally. They come and visit you during courses that you give. You go and visit them to learn from them and to provide them talks. Uh, it's, a, it's a very important part, I think, of a satisfying career. Right. And you mentioned some of the surgical courses that you have uh, attended and given internationally. So was this an early goal of yours to participate in this form of international collaboration? Well, I, uh, I learned early on that, um, you know, we in the U.S. really have a very uh, advanced medical system, but there are many other people all around the world from whom we can learn. And so I, I first kind of cut my teeth on that concept with the development of our Harvard thyroid and parathyroid course. And so this was really, I would travel and give different lectures in different parts of the world. And I would find these individuals that I thought, my God, that's an amazing talk that that woman is giving or that surgeon is giving or that physician is giving. And, and they, would, they would be great to bring back. So I would kind of go out shopping for speakers over the year or two and gather them up in my basket and bring them all back to the course at Harvard. And, and that resulted in me and my audience developing some real good international contacts from people that I had brought back. It provided my audience with surgeons that they had not bumped into previously and would hear the wonderful work that they were doing and, and provide kind of connections between people. And that's really the different courses that I've given in different areas have all sprung basically from that. And it's just, it's, a, it's very satisfying to be able to develop shared research and uh, networking and friendships basically with surgeons from around the world. And otolaryngology is just a really a wonderful field. It's a very uh, personal and relatively small network of people uh, with that card in their wallet, the otolaryngology card. And, and so it's, it's just, it's very satisfying to be able to make these connections between people. Right. And 
one of the things that you founded was the Global International Neural Monitoring Study Group with Dr. Henning Draleif of Germany um, to study the standard guidelines for neural monitoring, monitoring during thyroid surgery. How did that collaboration begin? Yeah, so that's, that's interesting. It was uh, during uh, one of my uh, early meetings on neural monitoring with a friend of Dr. Drala's who had been one of the founders of neural monitoring and inventor of one of the early monitoring uh, pieces of equipment in East Germany. And through him, I met uh, Henning, who was actually a general surgeon in, in East Germany. And uh, we developed a great friendship. And uh, I, I would say he valued the work that I had done I saw the quality and value of the work that he had done. So it was really a, a friendship, but mutual respect of, you know, two different areas, two very different worlds that our work was quite similar and overlapping. And he is uh, quite a leader in Europe and Germany uh, in endocrine surgery. Uh, and so it was uh, wonderful to be able to interact with him. And then through him, a whole host of other general endocrine surgeons that I became friends with and interacted with. And one of the uh, uh, results of that friendship was the formation of this study group, which has been very productive in generating, I would say some of the very high quality neural monitoring guidelines uh, that blend Henning's work and my work and the work of many others. And is also a wonderful opportunity to bridge the endocrine surgical, general surgical thyroid world with the otolaryngology thyroid world. Uh, so it's been uh, gratifying to be able to bring these, you know, sometimes there are different uh, turf wars between different areas within surgery. So to jump over those fences with friendship and good solid work, the benefit of which accrues to our patients is really a positive response to that. Absolutely. And without that international collaboration, we wouldn't have the utmost quality of care for all of our patients. So that is highly important. And on top of that, you have also served on multiple surgical missions to St. Petersburg, uh, Russia, China, Kenya, rural India, Chernobyl region of the Ukraine. What lessons did you learn in practicing in these regions? I think it's really otolaryngology is a wonderful uh, field to uh, evolve an interest in global health and global surgery. Um, the academy has a wonderful set of programs for humanitarian missions, um, and um, not only going to an individual uh, surgical unit and operating, but also providing education. Um, is uh, a I think an essential part of every surgeon and otolaryngologist training. You don't really know the world that you're in unless you go outside of your own backyard. Our American ORs are really quite different um, in in many many ways from ORs in many other parts of the world, and so to get to these other places, to interact with the hardworking physicians and surgeons in these units, to see the surgical needs that exist, especially in some of the developing uh, areas of the world, 
is really essential to see the limited resources to be able to practice high quality surgical care in resource limited environments is really, I think, essential uh, to work, to, to be oriented to the current state of uh, surgical oryngologic care in the, in the world. You really must be exposed, I think, to this. Um, the friendships and the, uh, the value of the work is, is really uh, uh, rendering. Um, so I would really recommend that, uh, that through the academy or you can contact me that uh, to reach out on surgical missions is a tremendously grounding, orienting uh, experience. Sure, sure. And has it changed your perspective of American healthcare? I know you mentioned some of the resources that are not available internationally, but does it change your perspective of what we have here? There's no question in a fundamental way. The uh, extent of disease that is dealt with in other areas of the world, the uh, resources that we toss in our garbage, uh, you know, on a regular basis by the pound for each case that we do, it's a very different circumstance in other areas. Um, also, it's important to learn that really, I think when you go to a resource challenge environment, your goal really is to make yourself obsolete. In other words, you want to provide a sustainable environment. So just to go there and do a couple of surgeries is not really the point. To go there and train, to go there and provide equipment, to go there and provide a sustainable, improved environment, uh, these are achievable goals. And uh, they're very satisfying. I know one time, one, one of my first missions to Russia, we had uh, brought a donated nerve monitoring um, uh, machine, equipment monitor, mm -hmm. and and left it there. And and then several months later, they had uh, contacted me and said, you know, this was was great. They had done fifty cases with the monitor since I had returned. And I thought that's really that's the sort of thing you want to do. In other words, going there and introducing them to it, educating. Here are the pitfalls. Here are the troubleshooting techniques. Here's the the value it gives. Be cautious. It doesn't do this. It does do this. Uh, but then to be able to, with that knowledge, have them do cases with me back at Boston operating in my own OR without any knowledge of their additional cases, that sort of, um, that sort of uh, sustainable activity is really achievable. And um, so it's, it's, uh, it, it's been very satisfying, uh, the international activities. But again, the Academy of Oncology Head and Neck Surgery is really a wonderful platform to uh, experience that. They have a map of the world with all of the AAO missions on it uh, mm -hmm. that you can interrogate to select from any number of different uh, missions. Certainly. It sounds like um, having a profound impact in global health is a huge possibility for all otolaryngologists and their level of training and to reach out to the academy for any um, opportunities is a huge first step that you can take if you're interested in global health. So, um, Dr. Randolph, do you have any advice for students interested in otolaryngology? Well, I would say uh, it's been a tremendously satisfying decision for me. I, I think it's a wonderful field. 
To even call it one field is a little hard to do because you can take care of pediatric patients. You can take care of geriatric hearing loss patients. You can do ear skull-based surgery. You can do microlaryngeal surgery. You can do big open cancer surgery with free flap repair. You can do thyroid and parathyroid surgery. You can do orbital surgery. You can do facial plastics. You know, it's, it's, there are so many different areas. It's a guarantee you will find some area that you will enjoy. Uh, you could do allergy in your office and never operate. Uh, so there is really something for everyone. It is a competitive field, but it's not too competitive. If you have legitimate, real interest and have a, um, uh, in, in otolaryngology, I would really encourage you to apply uh, and, uh, and wish you all the best. It's been a wonderful career choice for me and I've never looked back and I just can't say enough about it. It's a way to have a satisfying career in life and I would encourage everyone to the max. Uh, to look into surgery. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Randolph. We heard from you about your path to medicine, some of the twists and turns it took to get to otolaryngology, head and neck surgery, and the clinical and research focus on thyroid and parathyroid surgery and looking at the sameness but differentness, that kind of dichotomy that leads to career satisfaction. Then we discussed some of the international collaborations that has led to great research findings and friendships that continue to fuel the field of otolaryngology. Um, Again, if you're interested in global health, reach out to the Academy of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery and really pursue those opportunities. Thank you so much, Dr. Randolph. Any final thoughts? No, just thank you so much much for your uh, kind introduction to Uh, this medical student community, and good luck to everyone. Absolutely. Thank you for listening, and catch us next week on the next episode of Sundays with Saima.